What's going on, guys? This is Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Robert Farrington from The College Investor. Today, we get into a few topics with Robert. He's a very successful blogger in the topic of college loans, college financing, what folks in college should do with their investments or ideas that they can use in their investments if they want to become investors. And today we talk about financing college, how folks can pay back college loans, some steps to take in in your journey of paying off your college loans, what things can do to prepare for their children to go to college financially. And we dig into Robert's specific experience as a successful tech entrepreneur. He's done very well. He, he turned his side hustle of a blog into his full-time gig and he's very successful with it. And I think those are both important stories, important pieces of knowledge that we can get out of Robert. It's, it's, we learn about his specific expertise in his area of experience and we learn about his expertise as someone who is a successful side hustler. That is so much inspiration whether you're paying for college to raise your income level, raise what you can make, raise the salary you can command in the world, or you're out there building a side hustle, building a website, building something that's gonna bring you more income on the side. There are lessons in this podcast. I really appreciate Robert coming and joining us for this lesson, and I learned a lot. You're gonna learn a lot as well, too. For those of you who do not know, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. Thrilled to bring this interview to you today. Thanks again for tuning in. Without any further ado, here we go with Robert Farrington from The College Investor. Robert, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. So I talked a little bit about what we're going through today in the intro, but for the folks out there who don't know who you are, don't know what you do, don't know your brand, can you introduce yourself real quick so we know who we're dealing with? Yeah, definitely. So I'm Robert Farrington. I started The College Investor over 10 years ago when I was finishing college, uh, and it was really just a side project for me. I, I really enjoyed uh, talking about money, talking about investing. And, you know, I also, I'm kind of like a techie guy. So like the idea of starting a website, all that sounded really kind of cool to me. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to start a blog. I'm going to put it all out there and kind of see what happens. And so that's what I did when I was wrapping up college. And I still did the traditional route. I got a job. I was working full time, but I was always doing this as my, you know, hobby because I enjoyed it. And uh, here we are 10 years later, it's my full-time gig, and I've been doing it now, and I love it. I still enjoy helping people. I still love talking about money topics. So uh, it works great for me. Awesome, awesome, I love it. And there are a few things I wanna cover in our conversation today. First, I wanna pull out some of the lessons that you've learned from being the college investor, or I suppose having the college <sighs> investor brand, however you look at it. And then I wanna learn about your experience being, becoming, making yourself a successful side hustler that turned it into your full-time gig. So first, let's talk about financing, paying for college, and paying off those student loans. They're, they're, you know, I spend a lot of time in the real estate world, and a question comes up all the time, how, how can I get started investing when I have this albatross of eighty dollars to $100,000 more of college debt hanging on my neck? What are your thoughts? How do people get started paying off that college loan? 
And, and that's it. And that's kind of been my mission over the last 10 years because I didn't originally start this way, but I graduated with $43,000 in student loans myself. And one of my first like viral articles that I wrote way back when was my student loan servicer started messing up with my payments and like wasn't applying them correctly oh. and stuff. And this was back before like this was like everyone knew this happened. Like this was back eight years ago, nine years ago now. And uh, I started getting all these comments. Me too. Me too. Like I, I like your investing stuff. That's cool. But how do we get there when I'm still dealing with all the student loan stuff? And so I'm a big fan of financial balance. Uh, and it starts with getting out of debt, but you can also invest and build wealth at the same time, but you have to be strategic about it. You have to be smart about it. And it comes down to being organized. And that's the key to getting out of student loan debt. You know, there's a hundred tactics, a hundred tools, there's all these strategies, but like none of us, I can't tell you which is the best and you can't figure out which is the best until you get organized. And that's where I like to start this conversation is lay out your student loans, lay out what you have coming in, lay out what your expenses are, and then we can start pulling different levers about what might make sense for your loan situation, finding the best repayment plan, seeing if there's forgiveness options. Maybe we can do all those, but you're still short. Maybe we got to talk about earning more money. Maybe we got to talk about side hustling. Uh, maybe we have to talk about cutting other expenses, like your other parts of your budget. Like, but we can't have any of these conversations until you're organized. It's all laid out on the table and we have a very clear picture of what we're working with. I love that. And I think, you know, in the, fire financial independence retire early space i think there's not enough of a conversation around one particularly one of the things that you said earning more money or having a side hustle that kind of thing and we're going to get into your experience in a little bit but first to kind of focus on what organization really means when you first said that the thing that came to mind for me was budget but it sounds like budgeting is maybe downstream from organization and you want to get organized first. So let's dig into what organization really means in a nuts and bolts sense. Sure. And that's the thing, because uh, we can't even make a budget until you're organized, right? Um, because the thing is, is the average graduate has five student loans. And if you think about it, it kind of makes sense, right? You got one your freshman year, your sophomore year, your junior year, your senior year. Some people take five years. Some people took a summer semester or something in the middle, and that's an extra loan. And so you might have these five loans in different places. You might have uh, different loan servicers. You could have FedLoan and Navient, and you're trying to figure it out. So it's like, you got to get all your stuff listed in order. And then you could talk about your other personal finance stuff as well. Your checking account, a savings account. Maybe you have a 401k. Maybe you have an IRA. Like, where is all your stuff? Because I will tell you, in 10 years of helping people with student loan stuff, most people, and I'm talking like 90% of people that are lost with their student loans, aren't even able to tell me how much they have in student loan debt. They're not even able to tell me like, this is my monthly payment or this is the repayment plan I'm on. And you know what? Some of this stuff is confusing. I'm not going to lie. Like they don't make it easy, <laughs> but you have to have a little bit of accountability of yourself and your own money to figure out what you got because there's tools, there's services. You can Google anything if you just spent 10 minutes and did the work, but you've got to be accountable enough to do that. Interesting. Okay. So it's, it's very surprising to me that folks might not know the details or it sounds like even high level information about their actual student loan uh, situation. I, I suppose I just kind of took that for granted and assumed a lot of people would know that. Now, when it comes down to questions like, um, 
interest rates? Should I pay off the highest interest rate one first or the highest balance, things like that? That seems to come up over and over again on these forums, people asking for help. Where do you stand on that? What's your opinion? You know, debt snowball, debt avalanche, like you're arbitraging <laughs> a couple hundred. You're arbitraging. And so what, what we're saying is that the debt snowball is you pay the lowest balance first of your debts. And the debt avalanche is you pay the highest interest first. Mathematically, the avalanche is the mathematical approach. The snowball is a psychological approach. If you arbitrage it out, you're talking about a couple hundred dollars difference in the end. So like for me, I'm a big believer in you pick what works for you across the board. When it comes to organization, when it comes to your money, the best path is the one that you're actually going to do. So I'd rather you do whatever works for you, pay off one loan at a time. I don't care as long as you're making progress and doing something that feels right internally for you, because um, that's what's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> that, well, that's a great point. The best path is the one that works for you. And I guess folks really have to know themselves when it comes to what they're yeah, going to stick they're, to. They're, it's their style, right? And you probably encounter this too. I mean, you got the analytical people that are going to do a whole spreadsheet and like chart it out. Then you got the people that are like, they're more of a feeling or psychological based approach. And they're going to do the ones that feel better that way. And it's the same when it comes to actually, when you talk about budgeting or organizing your money, it's the same way. Um, some people love apps. I'm an app guy. So I like to put all my personal finance stuff in an app. And there's a ton of them out there, right? But some people are spreadsheet people. Some people hate all of that and they're pen and paper people and they want to have like a little budget folder and write it all out. All of those are cool. I just want you to pick the one that works for you and I don't want to force you into something because if, if you're not a spreadsheet person, like trying to get someone to budget in a spreadsheet is not going to be successful. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. People need to have things that they're going to stick to. Now, I want to make sure we hit the other side of this too, because there are folks who are on the other side of that equation. They're trying to prepare for their children to go to college. And I don't know about you, but to me, it looks like the cost of college is not going to come, come down despite uh, the coronavirus pandemic and all that what we're going through, how that's gonna impact colleges. What strategies do you think folks should look at to prepare for you know, their children going to college eventually? And what are some things that maybe we don't know that we should be looking into to make, you know, prepare for 15, 20 something years down the road? Yeah, I mean, it's all different, but I, I like to frame the college conversation as an ROI discussion, just like any other investment you're making, whether it's real estate, whether it's stocks, bonds, whatever, because these days, and, and this, is, this is different, this is a 2020 conversation. This would have been a different conversation in the 80s and the 90s. But today, you know, education information is pretty free. You could go watch the best professors from Harvard and Cornell on YouTube right now, giving the same talks and lectures and anything about anything, right? You could go on Udemy or a free course service and, and pay for a course too for very inexpensive to learn how to code or learn, learn skills. So the college conversation is an investment and is going to college an investment. And it is for some people, it's a good one, but you have to think of it as an investment as ROI because it's not just for learning's sake. We don't go to college just to learn. We go to college because you're trying to boost skill sets, job prospects, things like that, which is really a, 
a real, it's a different name for saying I'm trying to boost my future career earnings. And so you're trying to figure out a, basically a net present value of what my future earnings are going to be. And does the college exceed that cost or not? And I think the reason it's so mainstream today, uh, the conversation is because a lot of people are realizing that the degrees I've gotten over the last maybe 10, 20 years, they're not delivering on an ROI for me. And that's why people are frustrated with the system. They're like, we had this, you know, mindset of everyone needs to go to college, everyone needs to go to college. Well, now a chunk of those people are, are discovering, I, I probably shouldn't have, um, it, the, the cost didn't outweigh the, the, or the benefits didn't outweigh the cost uh, of going to college. And so that's how I like to frame the discussion, because I don't want to dismiss college. I think even in today's market, even with Corona and everything else going on, college is still a valuable thing for some people. But it all depends on what you want to do. So what I like to encourage parents to do is have these conversations as early as possible. There's two conversations here. It's like, what do you want to do? And what is mom and dad going to pay? And what is the kids going to have that expectation to pay? Um, because they're both integral parts of it. Because, you know, you can go to a community college for free in half the states of the United States. And then you could transfer to your state school for very inexpensive live at home, and you can get a degree in pretty much anything for probably less than $20,000 if you really put the work and effort and explore those options. Uh, and if you want to go into certain fields or other things, it could be even cheaper potentially, right? And, but mm -hmm. then there's the other route. Maybe you need to go away to school because, you know, some kids do need the soft skills. Some kids do need to like get out of the nest, but there's also cost-effective ways to do that too. And it all needs to have an ROI. Like if you wanted to be a teacher, it doesn't make sense to go and pay $250,000 a year or not $250,000 total, you know, like $60,000 a year, whatever that is to go become a teacher. Like the math just doesn't add up. Um, and so it's important to have those conversations and it's important to not surprise kids. Like parents need to be transparent all the way back to like middle school ages, like start having these conversations, start getting kids some exposure to things. I think the other thing that we're really lacking in America is exposure to what's out there, right? Um, I don't know about you, but when I went to high school, like the year before I started high school, they eliminated auto shop, they eliminated wood shop, and they added in computer tech, right? Mm -hmm. And that's been the predominant thing in high schools across America for like the last 20 years, right? Everyone learns computers. But now we have this weird thing going on where the trades are having a big shortage of people because people were never exposed to it. like. People don't realize that I could go be an electrician and pull in $180,000 a year being an electrician because, you know, unless their parent was an electrician, like, or an uncle or somebody in their family, it wasn't anything they were exposed to. All they knew growing up was, you know, technology, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, like whatever it is, right? That, that's what they know. And that's what they see idolized. And so there's a psychology aspect to this too, that I think parents have a big part in when they're growing up is can you expose your kids to fields? Can you expose your thing, kids to successful role models outside of maybe the parents industry so that the kids know that there's a lot of options out there because that's how you start building these like, you know, concepts in your mind about, well, what does success mean? And if you don't have an idea that I could be an electrician and that equates to success, you don't necessarily want to go down that path. Right. And so there's a lot of psychology. And I always like to say the math is the math and we can talk about the math all day long, but it's a bigger psychological question of, hopes, dreams, aspirations, parents' hopes, dreams, aspirations, family tradition, all this other stuff that really weighs on people heavily. 
Yeah, I think those parents' hope, dream, hopes, dreams, and aspirations really do uh, weigh into this. And and I think you make a fantastic point that you know children are kind of basing these decisions off of what they observe, who they know, those kinds of things. And not a lot of people know electricians and people just don't know how much uh, money they can make to continue riding with that example. Now, um, I think one of the things we can expect over the next 15, 20 years is for that, the whole college situation to change in some way. But I wanted to turn uh, the, the conversation a little bit more toward your experience here while we've got you. Um, do you feel that the, your college investment was worth it in hindsight? Um, yes and no. Uh, I, I'm very mixed on it. Like, but it also, I think this is the hard part is that there's no one size fits all. I worked full time during college and I minimized my college expenses. Uh, when I went and got my master's, my employer gave me some tuition reimbursement. Nice. So I minimized my cost. So like if I was paying full sticker, uh, I don't know, but I wasn't. And on the flip side, my degree was social signaling to my employer. So I got raises, I got promotions and, you know, I was able to get, you know, move forward there. I will tell you that in my experience, personally, I got zero benefit from networking. Like, I think that's a myth. I think only 1% of people really network in college and that actually springboards them. Um, I, I didn't find any of that. Um, I got a little bit from a friend group and some social skills. But I, I actually got a lot of that from working because I actually, I, like I said, I worked full time during my undergraduate and I worked full time when I got my master's. And uh, I feel like that actually was the better thing for me. But I can't, you can't take one from the other, right? I think it's also because I worked and went to school and had that time management and had that experience as a, a whole, it was valuable. I also went to a state school. I went into school with um, sophomore standing because I took a ton of AP classes mm, in high school. Nice. And so like, I had a lot of flexibility there to like minimize costs and stuff. So it's like, once again, you, everyone's so different, but there's so many levers you can pull to like change the, the, the ROI equation. So for me personally, I'm mixed. I mean, I definitely think it was a positive ROI. Um, but I think that the situation could have easily swung in a different way had I not had some access to these other levers. It's a very nuanced answer, but I think it's a, a very insightful and, and thought through answer to that question. And to continue uh, the, the spotlight turned to your experience, you're, you're working hard, you work full time, go to undergrad, work full time doing your master's. And at, at some point in there, you decide, I'm going to start this side hustle. I'm going to start this blog that is now your full time gig and, and has been for a few years now. And I want to learn about that and, and how you got started and, and how you eventually realized somewhere in there that, hey, I could do this full time. Well, you have to realize, too, I'd always been side hustling, right? So even in middle school, I was selling candy bars out of my backpack. Um, <laughs> I, I started that. my first eBay account when I was in high school at like 17. Um, and I was like, literally, I, I remember because I had like an old Super Nintendo with all like 100 games, right? And I started selling all that on eBay when I was in high school. And it was giving me spending money. It was great. And so like even through high school and college and stuff, I had been side hustling. So like the idea of like doing something on the side, um, wasn't a foreign concept to me. And I really just found this intersection of my passions of making money, investing, talking about it. And I created the website and I would do it on nights and weekends. Like, uh, for me, I kind of joke because I met my wife and we were together. 
but we weren't married yet. But like she would be watching Real Housewives of somewhere on TV, <laughs> and I'd be sitting, I'd be sitting next to her on my laptop writing a blog article because like I I wanted to be with her, but like I didn't really enjoy watching the show. So we'd just sit together, and I'd do my thing, and she'd do her thing, and that was how we went along. And so I really enjoyed it. I, I like talking about these things. Um, but honestly, when I started the college investor, the first like year and a half, two years, it actually really didn't, it didn't make any revenue. I didn't even know how to make money online. It was all a passion project. But then I started connecting and networking with some other um, bloggers. Uh, I, I kind of, for that first year and a half, I was like in a bubble. I didn't like reach out to anybody. I was just like doing my own thing. But like, I finally started like engaging with some people on social media and I discovered like a, a blogging forum back in the day. Mm. And like people were talking about like topics about marketing and how to blog. And I was like, whoa, you can actually like make money online. And so I started implementing a few of these things and it's like, whoa, I remember because I made $24 the first month. I actually like put some monetization on my site. And it was a big milestone though, because here we are like nine years later, right? And I remember that first month I made $24 um, because it was huge. Like you're kind of making money from air, basically. Like you have this little code online and it's, it's earning for you. <laughs> and, uh, and so then it just continued from there. And by networking, by learning, by helping other people, giving back, they in turn would help me. And, and then I would just continue building and I would also get better at it, right? I'm a big believer in consistency over time, right? The more you do something, the better you get. It's the same with like sports or anything you practice at, right? Like the more you practice, the, the better you get. And in turn, you get better results because you've been practicing and doing it for so long. And that's kind of how this worked. It's like, I just kept writing. I got better at my writing. I, I learned how to market online because I started doing it and some things work, some things didn't, but then you just keep <laughs> iterating and iterating and iterating on it. Interesting. So one of the things that I like to, to talk about with successful folks like yourself is kind of the mindset, the mentality of success. And one of the things that comes up when we talk about that is limiting beliefs. And I'm just curious if you, I have no information on this, but I'm curious if you had any limiting beliefs about this, or was it such a, a passion project that you didn't mind not even trying to make money off of it for the first year or two and you're just doing it for fun i mean where's that yeah i mean yes and no like in terms of marketing and making money i didn't really have any limiting beliefs but like in terms of like the content i was putting out yeah i do i have like very much imposter syndrome type thing and i actually get this from some readers because like you know, we're in this modern age where I, you can learn anything online. We kind of just talked about that, right? Mm -hmm. um, I consider myself pretty smart and savvy when it comes to personal finance investing. I probably know more about student loans than 99.99% of people in this country, right? Mm -hmm. But because I don't have a CFP or a credential behind my name, every now and then I get these readers that say like, well, like, who are you to like, talk about this subject. Like you have no idea. You're just Joe Schmo writer. And so there is some of that limiting belief. And it's like, yeah, I probably know more about this than anybody else. But, um, but people don't always know that. And then it also just becomes a check back on you. Like, do you really know it? And so that's the harder part is when it comes to the content per se, like, am I, am I right? Is this right? Should I actually do this? Like, that's a harder limiting belief, but you know, it just comes with practice and, you also just have to kind of brush off the haters online. Like it's just part of the, that's just part of the game too. Like, you know, there's nothing you can do about that sometimes, but it doesn't mean it doesn't cut you every time it happens. That's exactly the word that I was going to use is how do you ignore the haters out there? And it sounds like it's just, it's just, it's just part of the game. 
it's just part of it. It, it never, it, it, it gets easier, but it never doesn't hurt kind of thing. Right. Like yeah. you just learn how to cope with it a little better. I always second guess. Like I also, I'm a big believer. I, I like taking feedback too. Like, was there something that I could have done differently or better? Or did I miss something? Or was there a nuance here? Like you joked about my nuanced answer, but like the one thing I've learned is that all this stuff is very nuanced. Like there's not necessarily, it's like a spectrum. There's no real right or wrong answer. There's definitely a right or wrong extreme, but like most of the middle is, is a, you know, there's different ways to look at it. And I've also learned that like, just because something isn't right for me doesn't mean it's right, wrong for everybody else kind of thing, right? Like there's different people that in different situations or maybe had a different starting point and things like that. And, and so maybe that is something that's helpful for them, even though I disagree with it, but maybe that's like what they need at this point in time. And then we can get them to where we can have a different conversation, you know? Oh, absolutely. And, and I don't mean to make light of the nuanced answer to any of the questions, okay. because I think if, if we had a broad stroke, yes, no, this is the answer to anything, then we're not really answering the question. It's like, you know, the question comes up, should I invest in real estate? Well, shoot, that's, I don't know. You, you <laughs> but need it's to make so hard decision. because, I mean, I think you know this too as a content creator is people, you know, people instinctively want a yes or no, or they want the shortcut. They want the quick, they want the quick and easy. And the hard part is, is like, we kind of have to explain to them that there's no shortcut. There's no quick and easy here. Like you have to understand it and then decide what's right for you because everything has pros and cons and, and maybe it's a yes for you, but it might not be. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so as a technology entrepreneur, at least I see you in, in that way, uh, you, you've been around long enough that the, the internet changes constantly. And given the amount of time that you've, you've been in the business, things have really changed and it's hard to see in the moment. But if we look back, at just what has happened over, say, the last 10 years to the internet, how we're all more glued to our phones now than we were a year ago, and just keep rewinding that. We just are more and more glued to our phones. And I wanted to ask, how do you stay current? How do you adapt to changing market conditions and kind of see where the ball is going and or the puck is going, whatever? and skate to it rather than staying stuck in your ways. Yeah, well, I, I think there's two, two thoughts to this. One, I think uh, the best of whatever it is, is going to win. And I kind of live by that mindset. So the best content, the best tool, the best whatever is going to win the game of whatever we're talking about. Um, and yes, you know, the marketing tactics and strategies and stuff might change. But as long as you're creating the best, you have a good shot then it comes to like, where are you playing? And so I like to dabble in all these frontier kind of technologies. I like to be, I always think of it, I like to be where my audience is and where they're going, right? So we have the blog, written format. I don't think written format's gonna die anytime soon, but it has to be really, really good, the best written format. But there's a good contingent of people that like audio, so we have a podcast. And there's a good contingent of people that like video, so we have a YouTube channel, right? And then, you know, I like to dabble in all the frontier tech. So like we do a little TikTok. We do a little Reddit. We do a little, you know, we, we dabble with all these other stuff to, to see what's resonating, what's not resonating, and how we can best employ that. And, and that's how I try to stay ahead. And some stuff works, some stuff doesn't. Um, but I always think, like, if you're always going back to your own home base, and you control your home base, which is what I love. Technologies come and go, but, like, we control our blog. So if Facebook dies or changes something, like, it sucks maybe in the short term, but, like, we don't 
we control what we can control and make that the best. And then you kind of use everything else to kind of drive to your home base. I love that. And I relate to that specific example you gave so much because listeners don't know this. I haven't discussed this on the podcast, but Facebook flagged my website as spam about two months ago and there's nothing I can do about it. They will not respond. And you know what? I was upset at first, but it is what it is. I changed some of my things and now listener numbers are higher. I have more folks wanting to get involved with the podcast than previously, but having that control is so important. And I'm, I'm so glad to hear you uh, say that and say that specific example. Yeah. I mean, you just have to, you have to, you have to be there if your audience is there, but on the flip side, like your audience is other places too. And I actually really kind of learned this from my brother-in-law. It's a funny story, but like, it was like two Christmases ago. And you know, he's like, I will never read anything as long as I live, you know? And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean by that? And he's like, like a tutorial, a review or whatever. I will, I will search it on YouTube and watch a video. He's like, I, I here's this, like, it's like a pro he's in a mountain biking right so he's like here's a bike review this is on youtube here's a you know how to like change something like he only watches youtube videos and it really just clicked in my mind that you know what there's people like him and and now i've kind of elaborated on it that i think there's like i feel like this is generalizing a lot but like a third of people are readers a third of people are listeners and a third of people are watchers and it's just kind of how our brains are wired like you prefer like yes you'll do it if you have to like read something but like if you were given the choice of the exact same thing in all three mediums you would uh, go to the one that you prefer and so that's how i like to bridge our content strategy i love that and that that also you know going after say that third that are writers it, it speaks to what you said before about the best content will win is that sorry, did I say writers, readers, a third are readers. They're not reading crap. They're reading the best stuff that they can find in whatever they want to learn about. So it pays to strive to be the best. It does. And you know what? It's just easier to do all of the above too. Like there's a, like a marketing saying, like if you deliver a crap product, all you do with marketing is shine light on crap, right? <laughs> like, and so, but if you have the best product and then you start sharing it or encouraging, like reaching out to people and doing outreach or however you're going to market, if it's a really good or the best thing, it actually feels pretty good to share it. Like you're proud of it. Like it's just easy to be like, dude, I created like the most awesome thing over here and I'm, I just want to share it with you. Or, you know, maybe you'd find it valuable because I know we talked in the past. This is something important to you. You know, and it's such an easier sell. It's an easier share than it is if you didn't create the best, right? <laughs> I love that. You want to make that shareable content. Love getting your thoughts here today about college loans, the college loan situation, what folks are doing wrong, for example, and your experience in entrepreneurship right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Robert, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? All right, let's do this. All right, here we go. Number one, what is the best investment you ever made? And maybe I don't need this caveat for you other than in your education. All right. So, you know, this is like, it's funny because I think we're going to tie some things together here, but the best investment I ever made was when I was probably about 19. And this is one of the precipices for starting the college investor, right? I was investing in individual stocks and I remember this stock very well. It's Monsanto and mm. love it or hate it. However you feel about ag tech. Uh, I knocked it out of the park with this stock. Uh, we're talking, I think it was like a 10x return nice. um, when you're 19 years old with a decent sum of money at the time for when you're that age. 
And I thought I was the most amazing investor that had ever, you know, <laughs> existed to that point in time. So it was really rewarding. It was exciting to see, um, you know, especially because it was exciting to see like you, you earn income, right? And then I took that income and I invested it. And then you see a massive return on your investment for things that like you didn't even have to do. So it really opened my eyes to investing and excited my passion about it. And yeah, so that was, that was it. Nice. I love that. On the other side of that, we had your best investment. Now we go to the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? So let's trail it on the end of that. So because I thought I was amazing, I started picking some other random stocks. Mm. And guess what happened with the other random stocks? <laughs> right to zero. Exactly. Oh, like we lost a lot of money. And you know, once again, relative money at that point in time in my life. And so what I took away from this is one, I'm a big fan in low cost index fund investing. I don't think that stock picking is for you. It's like Vegas. You might get some winners. I actually think early winners are probably the worst thing that can happen to you because you get this false sense of that you know everything. Um, you know, and I just realized that, you know, individual stocks really aren't an investment. It is speculative. I don't think I can win. And if now is like, now I've been in this industry for 10 years. I know a lot of the behind the scenes. And it's kind of like, why do I think I'm better than Wall Street that literally has a million workers with unlimited money and supercomputers that spend all of their time in the whole entire like existence trying to figure out the best stocks? And yet me in like 10 minutes thinks I figured it out. I don't know. Like there's something about that that doesn't seem like it's right. And so I'm a low cost index fund investor and I'll let the stock picking go to other people at this point in time. Good for you. And that that is, a I think, a very important point, particularly for newer investors as we record this, and I'm betting this will change when this is released, but as we're recording this, Tesla stock is hitting a new high every day. Last I saw, it was like $1,800 a share. Oh, it's ridiculous, yeah. That makes them bigger than like every other car company combined, which is just ridiculous. But I'm sure we have a lot of young Roberts out there making swings on this stock and they're doing really well so far. But in and the don't end, get me wrong. It. It's an, ex it's an exciting story. I don't sure. want to take away the win. Like that's cool, but like, it's not necessarily repeatable. <laughs> and it's, you know, the other thing I like to think about is that for the vast majority of people, it's not going to be game changing wealth too. It's like, okay, you put a hundred dollars in Tesla when it was at 500 bucks a share. <laughs> and now it's at, you know, 1800 bucks a share. So you tripled your money, but now you have 300 bucks. That's cool that you tripled your money, <laughs> but like the amount of money you tripled doesn't actually make a dent or change your life in any way, shape or form. Now, some of these hedge funds and other things, maybe, you know, you put in, you know, $10 million and you triple your money. That's a cool story, right? But like the vast majority of investors that are in Tesla stock are probably not that, you know, if you're mm -hmm. on Robinhood and you're trading on the app, you're trading with probably small dollars. And once again, cool story, but it's not going to necessarily be life-changing money. I love that concept, life-changing money. I think that's so important when it comes to making these financial decisions. Whatever they are, think about the, the life-changing aspect of it. And my favorite question here at the end of the show, we covered a lot of topics. You've got a lot of knowledge here, both from the financing your college endeavors space to becoming a successful entrepreneur and everything in between. So my favorite question is, what is the most important lesson that you've learned in business and investing? 
Yeah, I mean, it's honestly been networking. And I learned this, we, we touched on it a little bit when I got onto a forum and I started networking online with other people. That was the first game-changing moment for my business where I actually went from zero to like actually earning money. But it's, it's never stopped. The more I've networked, the more I've connected with other entrepreneurs, other business people, other people in finance, the more I've learned, the more I've gained, uh, and the more it's propelled my business forward. I would say like the next game-changing moment in my business was going to a conference in real life. Which is like, you know, you're taking that online networking and then you go to, you know, in-person networking and it's huge. Like just being able to sit down, have a beer with someone, talk about anything under the sun from money to marketing to business. Like you build real connections, but that like just, it just sows seeds that pay dividends down the road. And in, in networking is like the biggest thing that if I could have gone back in time, I would have done it from day one, but you'd learn these lessons as you go. So hopefully someone else picks this up and starts networking. <laughs> Just to dig a little bit more into that, I, I love that answer. Uh, regarding the in-person conference, what kind of a conference does somebody uh, in your business go to? Like what, what's a couple examples? So the one I'm referring to is the financial blogger conference, which actually has now evolved into like a, a money and media conference, which uh, puts together pretty much every financial brand with all the financial media, which includes blogs, podcasts, uh, you know, YouTube, but it also includes mainstream media, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, usually they send their money teams as well. So where money and media come together. And as a result, you really get this really cool mix of people from just bloggers and podcasters in their house to like, legit like newspaper media to all the major brands from Fidelity and the vanguards of the world to small fintech startups that are they're just trying to make a name for themselves so it's a really fun event it's been going on now like eight ten years something like that it's it's awesome I'm going to look that up and I may join once the coronavirus pandemic is over. Dude, this is the year to join too. I think it's going to be virtual this year. So it has, I think it's this fall, but I think they're moving everything online. So I, I think now's the year to do it. You can at least just do it from home. That's true. Don't have to buy a plane ticket. Yeah, interesting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about that one. I'll have to look that up. Well, anyway, Robert, thank you so much for joining <laughs> us today and, and sharing all this knowledge. I think these things are so important from the decision to go to college to how to fund it to expanding our incomes through some kind of side hustle or if you're someone at work who's going to school for a master's to get additional pay i think they're all great lessons and i'm glad we extracted some of those today if folks want to get in touch with you if they want to learn some of your lessons some of your knowledge about financing college whatever where can they find you yeah, so you can find us at thecollegeinvestor.com. If you like to listen, our podcast is The College Investor Audio Show, and we have a YouTube channel, The College Investor. I love it. I love it. Well, thanks again so much for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated, and it helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thanks for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great day and a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you on the next episode. Bye-bye.